it's about our identity, <clears throat> and it's strategic <clears throat> why Paul has the first three chapters in the place that they are, because we need to first understand our identity. We need to understand who we are in Christ. We need to understand how we came to Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we have salvation. We cannot be saved in any other way. That is foundational for us. And if we get the foundation wrong, then everything else will crumble around us. If we forget Ephesians 1 through 3, then going through Ephesians 4 through 6 will cause us to, to trip over ourselves. Because the temptation will be to look at what we do as our identity instead of what Christ has already done for us. Brothers and sisters, we must be careful. We aren't good because of anything we have done. We are good because of what Christ has done for us. Are you tracking with me? But make no mistake, we are still called to do something. We are still called to live out our identity. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I need your help this morning. Who created us? God. What did he create us for? Good works. Who prepared the good works for us that we should walk in them? God. Therefore, when we do good works, who deserves all the glory and all the praise? God does. This does mean, then, that there are things that we are called to do in light of our identity. Ephesians 4.1 says this, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Chapter 4, chapter four verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. There's a, there's a way of living that Paul wants us to be aware of. Last week, we looked at the end of chapter 4 where Paul called for us to put off and put on five things, making sure in the putting off and the putting on that we have the proper motivation for that. And this morning, we are continuing with the call to live a life worthy of our calling. So let's look at chapter 5 together, starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor rude joke, nor rude, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partake partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk 
as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in on you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you have given us this amazing gift. Lord, and, and I confess that apart from your spirit helping us, we are, we are without hope. Apart from you opening our eyes, God, we, we fail to see. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we may behold wondrous things out of your word? God, would you give us the gift of illumination that, that you would take the words on these pages and would you put them in our minds and then bury them deep in our hearts? Father, you are so good. Lord, help us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When it comes to living a life worthy of our calling, it involves walking in the light of Christ. That's our title this morning. Walk in the light of Christ. Look at verse 13 again. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That last phrase there, we're not really sure where it comes from, but doesn't that speak of our salvation? We were dead. We were sleeping. We were not alive to the things of God. And Christ shone his light on us and made us alive. And so we are now called to continually walk in the light. And really there's a twofold approach when it comes to light, isn't there? Light dispels the darkness and light shows the way to walk. And really that's what we see throughout here. There are, there are things that the light shines on darkness to avoid and on the light and the path of which we are to walk. And so the first thing we see here, uh, let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are called to be imitators of God. Walking in the light of Christ means we imitate God. Is it just me or have have there been a lot of therefores throughout this book? And so we see it again, of course. When we see it, therefore, we have to see what it's there for, and it's pointing back to something that was previously said. And in this case, it's talking about verse 32. It says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What does it mean to be an imitator of God? It means... To love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 
And this is not something that uh, imitating God is, is not something to be done in drudgery. It's not like these orders from this demanding father that commands his children to obey him and to imitate him. Because so look, it says, do this as children. Not just as children, but beloved children. When it comes to imitating God, when it comes to living as the father lives, we're doing so from a place of having a loving father. Doesn't it make all the difference? Some, some of us here, we have a mixed group of people, no doubt. Some of us had wonderful fathers. I have a great father who loves Jesus and who raised me in the way of Christ. And, and, I, and I, looked, I looked fondly at my dad. Some of you had an abrasive father. Perhaps you had an absent father. Perhaps you had an abusive father. But, but we think of God the Father. He loves us deeply. That's why Paul prayed earlier in this book that we would understand the depth, the width, the length, the height of his love for us. Such great love that he was willing to give his only son to make us right. So when we are called to imitate God, we are supposed to do it from a place of being a loved child, a deeply loved child. Our Father spared no expense for our pardon. And we are to imitate him. You know, kids often imitate parents, don't they? Sometimes you're like, you're looking at your kids and you hear the way they talk and you're like, oh goodness, that sounded just like me. But sometimes that's a scary thought, but sometimes it's good. Uh, I remember, uh, so, so Reese just turned 17 this week. Everybody say happy birthday, Reese. She loves attention, so she's loving this right now. I didn't even tell her I was going to do this, but uh, when she was two, I was a youth pastor at a church in South Bend, and uh, she, she knew what I did. Uh, she understood that I was a pastor. She understood that I preached the gospel. And one time we were at the church together, Nikki was there with us, and uh, she decided just out of the blue, she stands on, you know how they have like different things you can crawl on and stand on. They had these, this, this plastic cube that she stood on. And she just very boldly said, if anyone believes that Jesus is the Lord, then come on up here. Just come on up here. And hallelujah, I got saved that day. Uh, she imitated me from a place of love, from a, a loving father who loved her. She imitated her father. Like that's, that's what we are called to do. We, we are called to imitate God from a from a place of love, we are called to sacrifice ourselves. We're called to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. So let me ask you, believer, what does your life look like? Or a better question is, who do you look like? Are you taking after Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to go into the world and proclaim the good news to the lost around you? Would you say that the way you are living your life is a fragrant offering to the Lord? As it said there, when Jesus gave himself up, it was a fragrant offering. It was received well by the Lord. Is that the kind of life that you are living? Brothers and sisters, to walk in the light means we are imitators of God. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity are 
covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. To walk in the light of Christ means that we put away sexual immorality and impurity. We put away these unholy things that do not imitate God. You see, sex, immor sexual immorality was rampant in, in Ephesus. And kind of wouldn't you say our culture is in the same place? Just out of control. And we must take this very seriously. This is the first time Paul brought it up in verse 19 of chapter 4. He talks about how the Gentiles were given up to sensuality and impurity. And this is totally opposite of the way God is. And there are several things that we are called to do away with here. Notice the language here. Not only are they to flee from these things, but they should not even be named among them. This shouldn't even be something that you are curious about. This shouldn't even be something that anyone would be even give a person opportunity to call you guilty of. Let's start with sexual immorality. What does that all entail? Let's start with sex. Is sex in and of itself a bad thing? All the married couples would say, no way. Sex is God-given. Sex is a gift from God. And this is where the church has got it wrong. I know for me, it was wrong, 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 wrong. I got married and all of a sudden it was right. And it took a while for me to get to switch that from being something that was wrong. No, sex is beautiful. It's, it's amazing in the context of a monogamous marriage between a biological man and a biological woman. Anything outside of that, any kind of sexual activity outside of that understanding of sex in marriage is sin. And he is saying, have nothing to do with it. Be done with it. And listen, sexual immorality is not just something that is physical. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So to participate in pornography and looking at another person who is not your spouse and lusting after them, Jesus says, you're committing adultery in your heart. You are committing sexual immorality. And what Paul is saying is stay away from it. Flee from it. We must shut the door to those kind of things. But, but often here's, here's what I hear people do. Or here's what I hear, even hear people ask. Especially when it comes to like dating relationships. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says to flee sexual immorality. To flee means to get as far away from it as we can. But, but too many people ask, well, how far can I go before I cross the line? Can I hold hands? Can we kiss? 
can we make out? I mean, we're not having sex, so isn't that okay? And we ask, how, how close to the line can we get? And what the Word says, what Paul says is flee from that. Get as far away from that as you can. If you can't hold a hand, I don't know about you, but when I first hold my, held my wife, who was then girlfriend's hand, it was like fireworks. And I, have, I had to watch it. We have to be careful here. We have to guard our hearts. We need to flee from sexual immorality. It's something that shouldn't even be named among us. And so evaluate your life. Is there any kind of sexual immorality in your life that, is, that you are unrepentant of? I know a pastor who recently preached the same passage. And during the week he was just pleading that God would expose this. And uh, there was a, a pastor's wife who came forward who had been having an affair on, his, on her husband for three years. Now, I, I, there's nobody that I would know of here, but I would be remiss to, to call that out if, it's, if, you, if you are living this kind of lifestyle. Sooner or later, your foundation will crumble. And there are serious warnings for you if you are giving yourself over to sexual immorality. Verse 5, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So you may ask the question, well, how do I know if I'm participating in that? How do I know if I'm giving into that? Well, I have struggled with this in the past. So is Paul saying if, if you struggle at all with looking at an image and having a little bit of lust in your heart that you are, you're not going to inherit to the kingdom of heaven? I think what Paul is just trying to say is like, you better take this serious. You better not mess around with fire because you will get burned. I'm not here to say that if you have struggles that, that you are an unbeliever, but Paul is just saying you better take a close eye on yourself and you better not get into, give into this. Flee sexual immorality. Flee impurity. Strive for holiness. It also mentions the word covetous. It means don't be greedy. Be content with what you have. Do you see how these two things are linked together? Sexual immorality is when we desire something that's not ours and we pursue after it. Sex is for the context of a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime. That, that is where sex belongs. So when we are trying to pursue something outside of that context, we are coveting. We are desiring something that doesn't belong to us. In verse 5, Paul calls it idolatry. And that's really what sexual immorality is. We have a culture, had a culture back then, we have a culture today that worships sex. And we must flee from it. Look at verse 4 again. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Our holiness matters. Our words matter. The entertainment choices that we choose matter. I'm often, first of all, I have to do my own heart check, but I'm often amazed at how many Christians love sitcoms that glorify immoral sex. Who watch these shows and love it, and they're mocking marriage, they're playing around with marriage without really connecting in the, in the stories together. We have to be careful. 
We can say all day long, I hate sexual immorality, but then we can find our entertainment choices pursuing sexual immorality, and then we love it. Paul's very clear here. We must flee from these things. Look at John 17 with me. Turn, keep a finger here. Turn with me back a, a few books to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's right before the book of Acts. John 17. The world hates Jesus. The world hates Christians. And so when you pursue and fight against this, you're going you're to find yourself coming up against people who want to participate in coarse joking. And as believers in Christ, are we going to maintain our integrity by choosing not to laugh at certain jokes? But the world's going to hate us for this. John 17, starting verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So, question. Does God call us to live in the world? Yes. However, he calls us not to be of the world. Most of you have jobs that are in the world. We live in neighborhoods that are placed in the world, surrounding people who are of the world. We are to be around them and in certain ways do life with unbelievers. But we must be careful not to participate in worldly things. Nor celebrate them. So consider your entertainment choices. Consider the music that you listen to. Is it lifting up things that you can thank God for after watching? Or is it something that is repulsive to the Lord? Paul is saying, do away with it. It shouldn't even be named amongst you. How are you doing with that? That's a, that's a, that's a big call for us. Something that we must take seriously. Notice a way... That he combats these things. How do we fight against this? Instead of sexual immorality, coveting, coarse talking, verse 4 says, let there be thanksgiving. Don't you find that a little strange? Like, thanksgiving? Like, huh? Like, what does he mean for that? Think about it. What does thanksgiving do with our attention? Who does it turn us to? God. Thanksgiving is, a, is coming from a place of contentment. When it comes to sexual immorality, if we are content in our singleness or we find content in our marriage, that God has given us this woman or this man to marry, and so I find contentment in this. I'm not going to seek other things, but I'm going to have a heart of thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you've given me. Thankfulness takes our minds off ourselves, and it focuses on God. You can't have a thankful heart for the things of God and then participate in the things of this world. You can play the part, but you really don't have a thankful heart if you continue to mess around. Paul is serious here. 
Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. To walk in the light of Christ means that we put away immorality and impurity. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you, you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. To walk in the light of Christ means we should not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Now, certainly, there's a lot of voices out there that we listen to. Those who call themselves teachers will be held at a higher standing. And if they are deceiving others, they will pay the price. But we also have a part to play in not being deceived. So how do we guard against deception? I think it starts with the fact that we must be students of God's word. We must know the word so well so that when deceiving empty words come our way, we're able to push them off very quickly because they don't line up with the reality and the truth of what God's word says. It makes me think of like how, how some people have learned to be able to decipher counterfeit money from the real thing. They don't spend time acknowledging and looking at counterfeit money. Rather, they spend their time looking at the real thing studying the real bills and so you've learned to know the real bill so well that when a fake one comes across it sticks out to you Th this is what it means for us that don't be deceived know the truth so well that when deception comes you are able to put it aside the more we know the truth of god's word the more obvious the empty truth will be but the world is tricky isn't it it definitely wants to deceive when it comes to sexual immorality. Just consider the onslaught of the sexual revolution. You know, for a long time, it was just kind of this slow trickle where they're starting to introduce homosexuality in, and then now it's just like exploded, and it's just out of control. I mean, have you ever noticed how many TV shows, movies, sitcoms have some kind of homosexual relationship in it, jamming it down our throats. Even kids' cartoons now, are, they are placing it in our faces. Not only that, the world is trying to tell us it's okay to live like a boy even though you were born a girl. And kids are having transition surgeries at earlier and earlier ages. Hormones are giving to slow down and suppress puberty. Don't be deceived. But church, I, I think we need to be ready for something. I do believe that many who have allowed the world to deceive them about these things will come to find out that the LGBTQ agenda is empty. That the LGBTQ sayings do not offer hope. Many will come to taste and see that the world isn't good. They will come to see that they have been deceived. My question is, will we be ready to receive them when they step foot in our doors? Will we lovingly receive those who have mutilated their bodies because of what the world says they could do and what the world said was right? Will we receive them when they look nothing like us? 
I, I, this is not fact because I don't know. I can't see the future, but I just think that's coming. And the church needs to be ready. And see, here's the thing. Too often we have, we do have hate speech towards them. Hate speech is not when you say something's wrong. Hate speech when you crush somebody. Because here's the reality. We are all sexually broken. Homosexual sex is not the worst sin you can commit. It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit and never repenting of your sin. That is the worst thing you can ever do. And far too often I see Christians who want to who wanna put down the LGBTQ agenda, properly so. We got to call a spade a spade. They want to put that down. And meanwhile, they're in their rooms, on their phones, in their quietness of their closets, allowing sexually immoral images to go before their eyes while they criticize other people. Church, we have to call sin, sin. We, and we have to not allow ourselves to even flirt with the idea of maybe, maybe a, a girl could love a girl because, look, they're being innocent. They're not making a big deal of it. I've seen family members try to change their position on it because they're, they love their family member. Don't be deceived. And, and let me encourage you, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, if you struggle with this agenda, there's hope for you. There's not something uniquely wrong with you if, that, if that's where you find yourself. We are all broken in this way. There's hope in Christ. Don't be deceived, though, by the, what the world is telling you. Verse 7 says, do not partner with sons of disobedience. This is where we have to be careful with what kind of relationships we build with those who are of the world. Again, we are in the world, not of the world. We are to be friendly towards those who are of the world, but we can't link arms with them. We have to be careful with this. Christian, do not be conceived. Do not be deceived. Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We are to walk as children of light. I'm not sure what happened there. Something changed on me. We are to walk as children of light. Like we cannot partner with darkness. We must flee sexual immorality. Why? We are the light of Christ. We are to be imitators. Our identity is light. Notice what Philippians 4, 8, 8 through 10, 8 and 9 says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Don't just think on them. Don't just allow them to dwell in your mind. Don't become a Bible fathead, but practice them. Live them out and the God of peace will be with you. Something that is noteworthy here when it comes to walking in the light. Verse 10 says to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It takes effort to walk in the light. God, what do you want from me? What have you, how have you called me to live? This isn't about how close to I, can I get to the line before I sin. This is about how can I 
glorify God in everything I do. I don't even want to think about that. I don't want to think about how close I get to sin. I want to think about how can I keep glorifying you? How can I please you? What is it going to take to honor you with my life? What shows do I need to be done away with? What music do I need to put off? God, what am, what am I doing to walk in the light? The light is something we are to pursue. We don't just avoid darkness. And this really lines up with the last point. Verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Brothers and sisters, we are called to expose the darkness. We are called to expose the darkness. Now, aren't you thankful for electricity? Have you ever just stopped and, and pondered the gift that we have in having lights? Light exposes the darkness. There have been times in my life where I have not allowed the light to expose the darkness, and I have paid the price. Uh, one particular evening in our home a few years back, uh, the kids were playing with calico critters. You guys know what calico critters are? Like little, little animal families. They have like cows and dogs and, and cats and pigs, raccoons, a bunch of different kind of animals. And they have like little different village things you can get. You can get like a townhome. They have a treehouse. And our kids have this huge mansion. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like the Barbie dream house for, for animals, though. And they played with it at night. And to my unknowing, to me not knowing it, they left it up at night into the morning. And I had to leave early in the morning. You know how, like, you know how precious it is that your kids stay asleep? <laughs> and so you'll, you'll do anything to make sure they stay asleep. And so I decided to leave the lights off. So you have to walk through the hallway, through the living room where they were playing last night to get out into the, to the, to the garage. And so I, I wanted to keep the lights off because we kind of keep the, the doors cracked for our kids and I didn't want to wake anybody up. And I paid the price because like King Kong in Tokyo, I found my, or is that Godzilla in Tokyo, tripped over the mansion, breaking it to a thousand pieces and scraping up my leg. I mean, I cut myself, I was bleeding, and the kids still woke up, so I just avoided. But if I would have just exposed the darkness with the light, I would have avoided that. I wouldn't have tripped over those things. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to expose the darkness. The light helps us to see the path that we're going Dedicating our lives to the study of God's word allows the path to be seen. We have to expose the darkness. If we don't, eventually you'll be like me and you will stumble over sinfulness. You will stumble over sexual immorality. This is why it's not about not calling LGBTQ out. We do call it out. We have to expose the darkness, but we have to point them to the light. We don't trash people. We point them to the light. We speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. We've got to call sin, sin. When we see it in others, when we see it in ourselves, call it out. 
repent of your own sin. Remember, if you're calling sin out in somebody else, you better make sure you remove the log in your own eye so that you can remove the speck in your neighbor's eye. Paul is not hiding any punches here. Church, we must rid ourselves of sexual immorality. If you are in any kind of sexual sin this morning, I encourage you, you need to repent. The kingdom of God does not belong to those who are sexually immoral. And listen, when, when we come into the light, when we bring in our sin into the light, it's a it could be a painful process. And it may mean a long time to recover from that, but I guarantee that will be better for you than burning in hell. We must be careful. And the greatest opportunity we have to expose the darkness is to take the good news of the gospel to the world that lives in darkness. That we would show them the hope of Christ, that we would spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are the church. With that comes the calling to imitate God, be an imitator. Let them see the sacrificial death of Christ through the way that you live for others. Flee sexual immorality and impurity. Guard against being deceived by the things of this world. Do so by walking in the light, walking in the light of God's word. Be a student of God's word. Expose the darkness. May God lead us to live lives that reflect the light of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. These are serious things that you bring to our mind. And God, I, I'm grateful for your forgiveness. And so, Lord, I, I want to be careful on one hand that I don't deceive people into thinking they're unbelievers if they struggle with this. But, Lord, on the, on the other hand, Paul's very serious. I think what Paul is trying to tell us is just do away with it. You don't have to worry about it. Don't let it in your life. So, God, would you help us to be a holy, pure people and God we need your help because we are sexually broken none of us masters this God would you move in us I pray that that this morning that even now you are exposing the darkness of anybody who may be in here who's given themselves over to sin for a long time God that this morning would be the end the end of hiding that they would bring it to the light, Lord. That they would find hope. Jesus is so much better than our sin. So much. It's not even worth comparing. Oh, Lord, would you turn our hearts to you. Give us more of you so that we don't even want that stuff. Lord, a heart that struggles with sexual immorality is a heart that struggles in worship in you. And so, God, turn our hearts and our affections and our worship to you, God. Help us to... Fight back the darkness this morning, God. We desperately need you. We plead for you. And we thank you that you hear our cry. We thank you that you are a merciful, gracious, slow to anger God. Thank you for your forgiveness this morning, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray.